0: Welcome to another ABI podcast. I'm Amy Quackenboss, Deputy Executive Director of the American Bankruptcy Institute. Today I'm joined by Jeff Berman. Jeff is a Senior Vice President of Development Specialists, Inc. in Los Angeles, and has more than 40 years of experience in the extension of secured and unsecured credit and the liquidation of numerous businesses. Jeff also served as ABI's President from April 2011 to April 2012, and as its Chairman in April 2013 to April 2014. In addition, he serves as an ex officio member of the ABI commission for the study of the reform of chapter 11, which he formed during his year as president. He is a former executive editor of the ABI journal and a contributing editor to its last in line column. Jeff has significant experience in the area of general assignments for the benefit of creditors and is a past chair of ABI's task force on general assignments. He has recently updated the third edition of ABI's publication, Assignment for the Benefit of Creditors, the ABCs of ABCs, and has graciously agreed to talk with us today about that publication. So welcome, Jeff. It's a pleasure to have you here.
1: Thank you, Amy. I'm happy to do this.
0: So let's start right off with asking you some questions about the book. Um, the book was first released by ABI in 2000 as a ready reference guide for practitioners. And then in 2006, after BAPSIPA, you updated the guide. So why is the third edition now timely?
1: yeah i'd love to say it's always timely to update a book anytime something new happens uh, it just sometimes it takes a little time in this instance uh, as you referenced my time serving uh on the abi executive committee and as president and chairman uh, sort of delayed my getting to the more current updates as they were coming together and in the last year or so after my term as chairman, I was able to focus again and bring the second edition up to date with developments as recent as in the last six to eight weeks before the book went to print. And so that's that's really why the timing now is so uh, beneficial, I think.
0: That's great, and and so the ABCs for ABCs is, um, uh, you know, as I mentioned, it's a ready reference guide. But who is really the intended audience of the book? Are they assignees, or is it attorneys, or both, or receivers? Well, who's the who's the intended beneficiary of the book?
1: Well, I doubt receivers are going to like it because unless you're in Rhode Island uh, or in a state like Washington, where the assignments are generally more in receiverships. Uh, they're not. They will view an assignment for the benefit of creditors as a comp- competitive alternative. The book w- was really designed for both practitioners, young and old, in the insolvency arena, corporate counsel, and their clients, as a reference as to what is an assignment, what are the basic rights, obligations, fiduciary duties and process that an assignment uh, undergoes to deal with the assets of a distressed business and distribution of funds to creditors. It is not designed to be the end-all of end-alls for every given state because every state has a different set of rules. But in general, the concepts are the same. And so many times we'll get a phone call from someone who's never heard of what an assignment for the benefit of creditors is. And by giving them a copy of the book, they have a much better understanding of what they are about to embark in. For young lawyers, it's something that they might have gotten in law school for about five minutes in a bankruptcy class, and then they forget about it. And so when they are exposed to it and they don't know where to turn for any education on it, Again, the book is a good starting point for young lawyers to get a much better grasp of what the assignment for benefit of creditors process is.
0: And so, Jeff, for those of us who may not have heard of a general assignment for the benefit of creditors, can you let us know um, just in in brief terms what a general assignment is?
1: Sure. Uh, An assignment for the benefit of creditors is a state law liquidation process. It is not designed to be or act as a reorganization. If somebody wants to fix a a distressed business's debts and have the business survive, they need to do a workout composition moratorium agreement. The assignment process is the transfer of assets to a fiduciary for the purpose of liquidating and selling the assets using the proceeds to pay creditor claims. So an assignee acts as a fiduciary, takes title to the assets as the fiduciary, liquidates them, and then distributes the money to creditors based on the priorities.
0: So why would uh, function, oh, go ahead,
1: Jeff? I'm I'm sorry. Functionally, it is the equivalent to a Chapter Seven under the Bankruptcy Code.
0: And so, why would someone use um, a general assignment as opposed to a uh, Chapter Seven in bankruptcy?
1: I would hope that council would look at the assignment process as an alternative. Usually for most, and and, uh, I want to separate this a little bit, for manufacturing sales distribution type entities, uh, not private, uh, private equity or venture capital sponsored, which may not be as frequent today as it used to be many years ago. Uh, it's a generally faster and less expensive alternative with most of the same protections, but without the overlay of the court and lawyers and going to court and pleadings and the like. For those companies that are venture capital or private equity sponsored, where those equity firms have someone sitting on the board an assignment to the creditors does not qualify under the securities and exchange commission rules as a bankruptcy that has to be disclosed by the director. And so for those companies, an assignment becomes a very practical alternative because the directors don't want to have to make that disclosure. In some of the states where there are no court supervision rules, uh, There's less notoriety. Now, with the advent of social media and the Internet, an assignment in Illinois can be just as quickly broadcast as an assignment in Florida that's a court proceeding or in Delaware. Uh, But there is no mandatory public notice to the world other than to the creditors. And so many times people would like less versus more notoriety.
0: I see. So are general assignments um, used often in particular states over others or do you see them used across uh, the country um, pretty regularly?
1: I'd love to see them used across the country regularly, but they're not. Uh, as I said before, Rhode Island, for example, uh the custom and practice is a receivership and they will turn to a receivership for their businesses much quicker than they would Uh, An assignment for the benefit of creditors. Uh, If you were to try and rank them by numbers, probably California, Illinois, Florida, Massachusetts uh, have more assignments than the rest of the country combined. Uh, I don't think I know of one general assignment in Louisiana. Uh, For example, Louisiana had did not have in its version of the Uniform Commercial Code. the rights of an assignee as a lien creditor under Article 9, Section three hundred nine, 9, until the revisions in 2001. Um, and that's about all that they have in their statutes about assignments for the benefit of creditors. Uh, you've seen, or we've seen over the, the last 10 years, uh, an increase in states looking to modernize their statutes. Uh, Washington State was one of the first that revised their statutes, I believe, in 2004, with the statutes drafted by now uh, bankruptcy judge Mark Barreka. Uh, Minnesota, likewise, updated their statutes in 2007, 2008, and decided to use the Washington state model uh, as their basis. And those states both take assignments and turn them into receiverships. Uh, Florida has updated its statutes. Uh, I have talked to people in Connecticut, Tennessee, and I will be talking to a committee of the Missouri State Bar next week, which is looking to update its statutes on general assignments. So there's a slow, steady wave of seeing that this really is a better way for many businesses, not all businesses, but for many businesses to wind down their affairs.
0: So the book is is actually very timely, it sounds like, that, you know, there is, there's this movement towards, um, and I think as we see, um, you know, bankruptcies uh, decrease in number, you'll see, hopefully you'll see businesses use this um, option as a way to, um, uh, to liquidate their assets.
1: I would hope, I would hope <laughs> that, uh, I may not be uh, still practicing by then, but. Uh... It's still a goal of mine to to get as many states to be more willing to accept the concept than there is today.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, once a business decides to pursue a general assignment for the benefit of creditors, um, what do they do to initiate the proceeding?
1: Hopefully they talk to counsel. Uh, But that should go without saying, but I say it because sometimes it just doesn't happen. Uh, Once they have decided that's how they wish to go forward, they need to have a board meeting, and the board needs to pass a resolution authorizing the making of the assignment, because in most instances, companies are formed to to operate in business, but not to go out of business. The action by the board is to authorize something that is not otherwise in the articles of incorporation. Then a majority of the shareholders needs to ratify the action of the board this creates a problem if you're dealing with a publicly traded company it's very hard to get a majority when you have thousands or millions of shareholders so we don't generally see assignments by publicly traded entities the same is also true for limited liability corporations you need the consent of the managing member, or whatever the operating agreements rules are, so that you can comply with applicable state law. Once that is in place, a contract between the assinor and the proposed assignee gets executed. And every assignee has their own form of contract, but generally it lays out that the assets will be transferred to the assignee, be held in trust. Liquidated priorities and honored uh, fees and expenses of the assignee can be paid, and then distribution. And usually, will include a power of attorney so that the assignee can execute documents on behalf of the assignor. Once the assignor signs that contract and delivers it to the assignee, and the assignee accepts it by signing it, the assets automatically transfer. And the lien rights I mentioned before in talking about Louisiana automatically perfect. So the assignee becomes a lien creditor as of the moment the assignment is accepted. It, the assignee doesn't have to do anything, doesn't have to go and record, doesn't have to file with the secretary of state. It just automatically becomes a lien creditor. What you ha- what happens here is like in a bankruptcy where you have an automatic stay, if a creditor is unperfected at the moment of bankruptcy is filed, they can never do anything to change their perfection with the exception of reclamation-type claims and the like. Let's ignore those for this purpose. The rights of a lien creditor under the Uniform Commercial Code give the assignee the effective same position as a debtor in possession or a trustee in bankruptcy. As of the moment the assignment is made, so if a creditor is unsecured at 8:01 and the assignment at 8:02, creditors are going to be unsecured for the rest of its relationship with that assignor/slash assignee.
0: So timing, so timing's important.
1: Let's take an example of a creditor who's filed a lawsuit mm-hmm. and they've gone to court and they're trying to get a judgment for their unpaid invoices that total $50,000. But they don't have the judgment, or they have a judgment and it's less than 90 days old. Uh, So at the moment, they're an unsecured creditor. When the assignment's made, they're still an unsecured creditor. And now the best they can do is liquidate their claim. So in my example, the best they can do is end up with a court-ordered claim of $50,000. But that claim is no higher than any other General unsecured creditor claim, no lower, no higher, and that becomes important because it stops the run to the courthouse and the need to defend creditor litigation, unless the claim that's being sought is so ridiculously uh, out of the box, you know, unsupportable.
0: So it, it effectively acts as a kind of a stay uh, on. on- it,
1: it is a stay, without it being. An automatic stay, because, of course, an automatic stay is a bankruptcy concept, and supremacy clause would come in and preemption would come in, and you can't do an automatic stay under state law and start looking like, acting like, walking like, or talking like federal law. But the lien right gives you the same protections without stopping an impact in the creditor's right and or creditor's contract.
0: So, and I wanted to also mention that you, you know, in in our discussion about how to proceed and how to initiate a general assignment. Um, The book contains some great forms that you have added that uh, you have the agreement with the assinee and you have the, you know, the resolution of the board in there. So, you know, I encourage folks who are listening. um, These are really great resources and they're included in the book. So I just I just wanted to point that out so um, that folks would know that that they're available. Yeah, I
1: appreciate that. We've tried to give people samples uh, and yes, every lawyer likes to be the last one to touch documents, and we understand, but at least it's a starting point.
0: Right, which every lawyer appreciates too.
1: <laughs> I hope.
0: They do. They do. Well, so we've talked about the assignee. What, what are the general duties of an assignee?
1: Oh, simply put, to marshal the assets, take an inventory of them, liquidate them, distribute the proceeds to the creditors based on the priority of their claims. Now, I said simply put because sometimes the assets become a little more harder to deal with because they aren't you know, boxes and books and widgets and, and things that you can touch and feel. So you have, and in today's world with what was in the early 2000s, the dot-com world, and now biotech and all sorts of things. You have a lot of intellectual property, intangible asset rights, and you have chosen an action. So, a company that has a claim against a third party, by making the assignment, transfers that claim to the assignee. And the assignee then has the right uh, to pursue that claim because it's an asset of the estate. If it's an asset and you turn it into cash, it augments the amount of money available for distribution to the creditors. So if you go back to the, to the 80s, if I'm dating myself, I apologize. You're talking about you know, liquor stores or supermarkets or manufacturing or furniture manufacturers or distribution businesses. And if you fast forward today, almost every company has some form of e commerce presence. Uh, in research and development firms, they have patents, patent pendings, uh, some assignment of rights that have value. And those are d- more difficult to liquidate than the widgets and the pallets and the boxes but they still get liquidated, they still get turned into value, and that value gets distributed to creditors.
0: So who decides how the um, debtor company's property is liquidated? I mean, does the assignee? I mean, I know the assignee controls it, but does the assignee work with the uh, board of directors of the company, um, or are they completely out of the picture now?
1: The answer here really is that when the assignment is made, management, including the board of directors, gives up control. In all ways, shapes, and forms. They have no uh, ability to direct or demand that an assignee follow their direction. If they really want to hold on to it, don't make an assignment. They do it themselves. Might be penny wise and pound foolish, uh, but so be it. So it's really up to the assignee. Mm-hmm. Now, some people who act as assignees have all sorts of resources internally and they can sell intellectual property and machinery and equipment and they'll have auction divisions and the like. Others will just be uh, one-man, one-person shops, lawyers and others. Uh, but most of the people who serve as assignees around the country that I run into, if they don't have the resources internally, know of the resources externally that they can bring, bring into the case to fit the assets that's to be distributed. So if we're dealing with a portfolio of patents, uh, one firm may have someone internally who can deal with all those and other firms may reach out to any number of people who have experience in finding the buyers for those patents doesn't matter how you get there as long as you find the
0: value. Right. So does, does an assignee when uh, he or she sells property, um, uh, do they do it free and clear like in a bankruptcy sale, or are, is it subject to the liens of the secured creditors?
1: Well, it's always, remember that the assignee has the rights of a lien creditor as of the making of the assignment. But that lien right doesn't trump properly perfected secured claims. Mm-hmm. Same as a trustee in bankruptcy or a debtor in possession can't trump a properly perfected secured claim. So you've asked, I think, a multiple part question. And so if I can raise an objection and answer it myself in two parts. <laughs> um,
0: Please. Where you have
1: a secured creditor, a blanket lien lender with a lien on all the assets, and you aren't, you as an assignee, or the lawyer for an asset an ass- or are not sure that the liquidation value of the assets will be sufficient to pay off that secured claim. I believe it is only appropriate for the assignee to go to that secured creditor and its counsel and effectively ask permission to liquidate its collateral. In the bankruptcy setting, it would be negotiating a use-of-cash collateral agreement or some form of subordination agreement from the lender. Uh, that didn't happen until really the mid to late 80s, early 90s, when banks started taking blanket liens on all the assets for for loans they were doing outside of the what now today are asset based loans, the good old fashioned receivable loans. So the assignee today needs to get the consent of that secured creditor. On the second part, the, the issue of free and clear has become much more prevalent uh, in the last few years. Uh, New Jersey now actually has a form of order for a sale by an assignee free and clear of uh, creditor claims, which I find a little interesting because uh, the argument that has been raised in the past on that free and clear concept is the preemption argument and saying, well, gee, shouldn't the free and clear concept really be covered by bankruptcy law? And apparently so far in New Jersey, that has not carried the day. Uh, However, uh, I would suggest, and it's in this new edition of the book, that that's not the right argument. And the argument is... Is a sale free and clear by order from a state court uh, violation of Article 1 of the Constitution and the contracts clause where a state is not allowed to impair the rights of contracts? Mm -hmm. That has not been tested uh, in state court that I know of. and In fact, I had a conversation with uh, Chris Ward at the Bolsonelli firm about this particular aspect of, of sales training earlier this week, so I think that's where the test is going to come. It's not a preemption issue; it's a supremacy clause issue.
0: Yeah, so you need to head to New Jersey, Jeff, to get involved in that, so you can. Oh, you know.
1: well, I've taken a few in New Jersey, awesome. and Chris has had a few, and uh, Steve Midnick and I will probably go head to toe at a conference in this later this fall in New York on this issue.
0: Great. Good. Sounds interesting. So, you talk in the book um, about some of the powers of the assignee, and one of the powers that you uh, mentioned are are the avoidance powers, and those are under state law, so not um, under the bankruptcy code. They're under state law. Are the state law powers of an assignee as widely used um, as uh, as in bankruptcy, um, by bankruptcy uh, trustees, or um, are they as powerful, are they as broad? Um, and what is, what's your experience been with those?
1: Yeah, there, there are about 17 or 18 states around the country that have some form of avoidance action, like a 547 action. Many of them are a, what are called an intent to prefer state, meaning you have to prove that the, the debtor or the asinor intended to prefer that receiving creditor over others. That's not the case in the bankruptcy setting, uh, and in California, it's not the case. Uh, what you have, however, is the issue of whether or not your creditor defendant resides within the jurisdiction or the reach of the state courts or can remove the cases to federal court. Um, and that becomes the bigger issue, and I've been talking to, to lawyers around the country who've run into this problem uh again as recently as last week, where if you can't get the claim out of state court, then you can't assert the at least in California, the Ninth Circuit ruling of Sherwood Partners versus Lycos, where Judge Kaczynski in a two to one decision said that uh, California code of civil procedure section 1800 which is the recovery statute uh, was preempted by 547 of the bankruptcy code and that only a bankruptcy trustee could pursue those claims because only a bankruptcy trustee could take those monies and make a pro rata distribution okay that's kind of contrary to the concept of what an assignment for the benefit of creditors are is and what we've talked about earlier uh, and so if if you're suing an out-of-state creditor and it's they can get there on diversity, uh, that case is probably going to go away. Now, you can talk about cases such as uh, Tompkins versus Erie Railroad, which says in a diversity case in federal court underlying state law should apply but I've yet to find a district court judge who's willing to go against the former chief judge of the Ninth Circuit in his ruling.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's technically, I, we may be right, but practically, those claims go by the wayside. So. But in, if you stay in state court, yeah, they're, they're good claims. They bring value to the estate. Uh, and if properly done, can be done efficiently, and should really never go to trial, just like 547 claims in a bankruptcy case right. should really never go to trial because it's not about the money or, you know, it's not an emotional issue. It's just, did you get more than the rest of the creditors? If you did, and you don't have a good defense. It goes back in and it gets redistributed.
0: Right. Yep. Well, okay. So the assignee has collected um, all of the assets or as, as many assets and, and gotten um, as great of recovery as he or she can. What happens then? How does the assony, uh distribute those assets? Does it mimic bankruptcy practice with the various priorities? Um, do state laws uh, mimic bankruptcy code when it comes to distribution?
1: With Generally, yes. Uh, there are a couple of issues that people need to be aware about. Uh, and so let me with the general understanding that what people who are listening to this understand for bankruptcy priorities there are two things to watch in state processes the first and probably the most important is the federal 31 USC 3713 any claim of any agency of the federal government has priority over any other claim. Failure to honor that priority subjects the fiduciary to personal liability. That statute says, however, that it is not applicable in a Chapter 11 case. So in an assignment for the benefit of creditors, if the ASINOR had a claim from U.S. Customs and Border Protection, unpaid duties uh, and the assignee ignores that claim as a priority it does so at its own risk if the Asinore was in the parish the food business a supplier of fruits and vegetables uh, one would hope. Somebody would be aware of the Perishable Agricultural Commodities Act. That is a trust. And that's also in the bankruptcy cases. But because it's federal, you have you may have issues with fines. If there's a fine to the assinor by the PAC administration under the US Department of Agriculture, that has priority. Uh, SBA, DEA, uh, Department of Energy, Department of Labor, Department of Interior, I don't care what it is, if it's an, a claim of any agency of the federal government, not just the IRS, that claim uh, has priority over everybody but the secured creditors. And that can wipe out an estate. I mean, that could take a, a nice recovery for unsecured creditors and hand it all to the government. Okay. Right. And there's nothing anybody can do about it. But more importantly, people who are considering an assignment or accepting an assignment and acting as an assignee need to know if there are those types of claims. Uh, the, the other is that many have not updated the priority wage statutes. And so, for example, some, some state might have a priority wage statute from the early 1900s that says an employee is entitled to a priority of $50 in the event of a liquidation through an assignment for the benefit of creditors.
0: Woohoo! <laughs> uh,
1: well, I can tell you that that's, that's the case in at least one
0: state. That's crazy. It, well,
1: hello, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, have, I have 50 employees, okay?
0: That means
1: that the priority under state law is a whopping $2,500? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Woo! Okay, hey, let's go there. Uh, hello, wait a minute. Better double check. What are the rules about paying wages and unpaid paid time off and the like upon termination of an employee? Oh, well, now that, that doesn't work. And the bankruptcy code. Uh, Priority wages is up to, what, I think 11600 six, 11, I mean, right, yeah. somewhere in that general vicinity. Uh, California, for example, hasn't modernized its priority statute in some time, and it's still at $4,300 mm-hmm. per employee. Well, if I'm counsel to an Asinor and I want to make an assignment and I have enough wages that sit in there in mm-hmm. and that... I might go to the assiny and say, would you honor the federal priority, even though the state doesn't? Makes sense. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, probably would want to do it. Right. So that's, that's something you've got to watch. And then, of course, heaven forbid, you've got to watch out for Warn Act.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's not something the assiny is going to deal with. Because the assignee typically is going to want the ASINOR to terminate all of its employees immediately before making the assignment. Right. But if you've got enough employees to qualify for WARN and you haven't given the notice, that falls on the company. And again, in an assignment or a receivership, that claim probably falls as a federal claim under the WARN Act and would have priority under 31 U.S.C. 3713. Just something to, to again, it, people who get into this business and or the lawyers who represent assignees need to be aware of these little pitfalls.
0: Well, and, and you talk about many of these in um, in the book, and there are some other topics that come to play in the Assignment for the Benefit of Creditors book, differences in state law, arbitration clauses, assignability of contracts, intervening bankruptcies. Is there anything else? We, we have a few minutes. Is there anything else you want to highlight or talk about?
1: Well, yeah, let me let me touch on the, the two main ones you just did. The assignability of contract arbitration clauses is something that uh, has just come up, and there is a very recent Delaware Chancery Court opinion uh, that's referenced in the book upholding an arbitrator's decision that the chosen action assigned to the assignee was, in fact, arbitrable. Uh, It's the first decision that I'm aware of uh, in Delaware uh, or anywhere else that we could find upholding that right. And so a third party who wants to argue that they didn't intend to have a dispute with an assignee, they only intended to have a dispute with the party of the contract, where the contract calls for arbitration, is going to have a problem with that. So that's a new development, and with ADR being such a, a hot topic and way of solving things uh, without going to court all the time, uh, I think it's an important thing for people to remember. So if there's a cause of action that a, an asinor has that the assignee is going to pursue and it calls for arbitration, uh, it will likely be upheld. Uh, the other you talked about inter- the effects of intervening bankruptcies. Remember that an assignee, while a fiduciary, is also a custodian by definition under the bankruptcy code. It's 543d2. An assignee would be required to turn over possession of the assets assigned to it upon the making after the making of the general assignment, if the intervening bankruptcy is less and 120 days from the date of execution of the assignment. If it's more, the bankruptcy code automatically exempts that turnover and leaves the assignment estate in place. Now, if it's in that one to 120-day period, an assignee and or the assinor, because it's still technically an entity, could file a motion to abstain in the bankruptcy court, asking the court to abstain on the basis that The assignment is a state law plan of reorganization, even though we said earlier that you aren't reorganizing the assets. That's that's the term from the legislative comments to Section 305. And then if the assignee is known, trustworthy, is not, uh, is in fact disinterested, not related to the operations of the assinor, Uh, unless you're in a state, for example, that doesn't have a preference recovery statute and you know that there are hundreds of thousands of dollars of preferences that need to be recovered. Uh, the bankruptcy courts typically will look to uh, abstain and let the assignment go forward.
0: Well, that's—I mean—that's an important point. Um, and I know that you um, you talk about some of those things um, in the book and lay out things very clearly for folks who are looking to get a handle and a grasp on um, an ABC and and what takes place in an ABC. Um, and hopefully you're right. Hopefully folks will um, turn to these more often because um, they do seem like they are um, a little uh, less complicated, although I'm sure you've been involved in some complicated ABCs. But life would be dull <laughs> if they were all the same. That's right. That's right. Um, but I did I did want to say thank you, Jeff, for all your hard work on the book. ABI appreciates it, and thanks for taking the time to join us today for this podcast.
1: Uh, it's my pleasure, Amy. It's uh... I've had a long and very wonderful relationship with ABI, and I can am always happy to be able to contribute any way I can.
0: Well, thank you. And if folks who are listening are interested in purchasing the general assignments for the benefit of creditors, the ABCs of ABCs, please visit the ABI bookstore at abi.org/bookstore. Thanks for listening, and I hope you have a great day.